Turning your Bibles to Genesis 31, we're continuing, of course, our study of the life of Jacob. And he's lived with, in Haran with his uncle Laban for really 20 years. It's now time to go. God gives him instructions telling him to return to the promised land, the land given to Abraham, to Isaac, and now to Jacob. The promise is that I will be with you, God's protection. We see Jacob's obedience and God's protection even in this passage. But as they leave their problems, he doesn't tell Laban that they're going Laban comes after them. There's a confrontation. The whole chapter, that we're only going to get part of it tonight, but the whole chapter ends with a covenant and a relationship and, a, and basically an agreement between Jacob and Laban. And, it's, and it's, not a, it's not a real good relationship. It's like you don't go this way and I won't go this way. Well, we'll see how it is. This evening, as we see the section, let me raise some questions for you. First of all, let's think about this. We can, we can do a right thing in a wrong way. I mean, we can, it was right for him to go back because God told him to go back, but he did it in the wrong way. Realize that God is our protector and provider, and that is true. It was all the way through for Jacob's life. We see it's true for our lives. And then we see the character of Jacob and Laban. What can we learn? Well, we see that the old saying, you know, reaping and sowing and deceiving, and they go back and forth, and we see a lot of different issues there in their lives. And I think as you continue to study, we get into chapter after they finish 31, get into 32, we see that Jacob wrestles with God, and we see a lot of things like that. So there's a lot of things that we're going to see how his life changes. But right now we'd say, well, he's kind of a, he, he, his name fits him well, deceiver, and that's who he is. Well, let's, well, let's give a, uh, have a prayer, and then we'll get into the passage. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, what a great night. Thank you, Lord, for the privilege of coming together with fellow believers and to worship. And thanks for the songs. Thank you for the opportunity to, to think about Christmas and just the great time of the year that it is. Lord, we just love it. We love this time. Uh, thank you, Lord, for the fact that you brought your son into the world and that we get to celebrate that. So, Lord, we just ask you tonight as we study this passage, you would teach us. We ask all of this in Jesus' name. Amen. You know, fear paralyzes. It does. It stops us from doing a lot of things. It stops us from doing what we want to do. It stops us doing sometimes what we're supposed to do. And sometimes it stops us from what we should do. One of the great American presidents said, we have nothing to fear but fear itself. Sometimes we fear the unknown. We fear, and we're all afraid. I mean, we, we're afraid we might not get a job if we're in school. We're afraid we won't pass. We're afraid we'll lose our job. We're afraid we're not good enough. We're afraid somebody's going to take advantage of us. We're afraid that we're going to get sick. We're, we're afraid of all kinds of different things. We live in a society that in one minute people are robbed and, and beaten and killed, and we fear the uncertain. We oftentimes fear the things that we just can't control. So what happens? And so I've got literally a little question there to think about. How do we as believers live our lives without constant fear? Because we could be afraid all the time. Well, the Word of God gives us the promise to all who have trusted Jesus Christ as Savior. Hebrews 13 basically says, I'll never leave you or forsake you. Why should you fear? Uh, Psalm says, the Lord is my strength and my shield. I shall not fear. As we live, we don't have to be afraid because God is our protector. We can rest in Him. He is our power, protection, and He has plans for our lives. So this evening, we're going to see over and over that God protects Jacob. And I want you to understand something. God protects Jacob not because Jacob's a good guy. God protects Jacob because, Jacob because God promised he would protect Jacob. And he tells Jacob, I will be with you. And in the midst of the pursuits and the confrontations and the accusations, God is with Jacob. God will not allow Laban to interfere or harm Jacob. That's really amazing, and we'll see it. God is uh, Jacob's protector, and the truth is he's our protector and protection as well. Well, let's think about it. Let's get a little review. Jacob and Laban have spent the last 20 years deceiving each other. The last time we saw, as we looked at that last passage, Jacob had been there for 14 years, and he decided to leave. He said, I think it's time to go home. But Laban didn't want him to leave because Laban knew that everything that Jacob did was blessing, and so Laban was getting blessed because of Jacob. So they made a deal, and you stay here, and you'll get these sheep and everything. But as soon as they made the deal, Laban tricked him, and, and then 
Jacob tricked Laban back, and over a period of time, God continually blessed Jacob so much that all of basically Jacob was getting richer and richer and richer, and Laban was getting poorer and poorer and poorer. So what Jacob, what Laban had really wanted, didn't turn out that way. He thought, as long as Jacob's here, I'll be blessed. But what happened is, God was giving everything to Jacob and not Laban. And uh, so uh, it's it's really a powerful thing. Uh, it, it God was blessing Jacob and giving him the sheep. Notice what Jacob did, though. Notice chapter 30. Go back to chapter 30. Look at verse 41. Moreover, whenever the stronger the flock were mating, Jacob would place the rods inside of the flock and the gutters so that they might mate by the rods. When the flock were feeble, he did not put them there, so the feebler were Laban's and the stronger Jacob's. So the man became exceedingly prosperous and had large flocks and male and female servants and camels and donkeys. What happened is Jacob got richer and richer and richer as the years went by, these six years, and Laban got poorer and poorer. And it's not a very good situation. Well, this evening, once again, it it, it works, and and it's time to leave. In fact, what Jacob realizes is that Laban's sons see what's happening. And Laban begins to realize what's happening. You think it wouldn't take six years, but you, you see this is happening. And so Jacob decides it's best to get out of town. It's best to leave and go back. Let me break down the passage for you. First of all, in verses 1 through 16, we see the plan to leave. Laban's bad attitude is there. The wives want to leave. We see God's protections. So they leave. Jacob takes off at 17 through 21. He doesn't tell Laban. And then Rachel steals her father's gods. What in the world are these? And what's going on? We'll talk about it in a little bit as we get there. And then in verses 22 through 32, Laban comes after Jacob. And we're not going to get very far tonight, but God warns Laban, you cannot touch Jacob. And there's two accusations by Laban to Jacob. One is, you took my children and you took my gods. And we'll see how Jacob answers that. And the truth is, uh, Rachel stole the gods, but he doesn't know that. And so what's going to happen? In fact, he makes that statement right at the end. Anybody got those gods? You can kill them. He doesn't know his wife's got them. So be careful when you say things like that. But anyway, we're going to see what happens in this passage. So let's begin. Uh, Verse 1 of chapter 31. Now Jacob heard the words of Laban's sons saying, Jacob has taken away all that is our father's, and from what belonged to our father, he has made all his wealth. Now, he began to hear the talk, and you know that's what happens. Kind of talk filters through, and he began to hear what these sons were saying, and they said this, that, go ahead to the next slide, I think, uh, that he had taken their inheritance. The bottom line is they, they were going to say, you know, everything that our dad had, which ultimately is going to be for us, uh, it seems to be that Jacob's taken it all. And so the sons begin to realize this. They said, Jacob's taken taken away all that our father, that was our father's, and what belonged to our father, he's made his wealth. So they were realizing that Jacob was getting all the blessing. Laban wasn't getting anything. And these boys are a little upset because deep down, not only was that their father's, but it's going to be theirs one day. You remember? Because the father gave it to the oldest son. and So they're realizing that Jacob is messing over them too. That's, what they're, that's how they're looking at it. Notice verse 2. Jacob saw the attitude of Laban. And behold, it was not friendly toward him as formerly. He saw that, that the feelings were not the same. He began to realize that Laban wasn't friendly to him anymore. And as the years have gone by now, Laban, of course, had been friendly to him. And let's be honest. Laban, we, we saw him at the very beginning. He's a man that loves things. He loves stuff. And as long as Jacob was there and things were going good, he was glad. And he was saying, keep old Jacob here. I love you, Jacob. I'm so glad you're here. Aren't we glad that we're, we're relatives? But then things weren't good anymore because 
all the stuff is going to Jacob. So now he's not as friendly toward him. So look what happens. Then the Lord said to Jacob, return to the land of your fathers and to your relatives, and I will be with you. The Lord comes to him and says, it's time to go back. He left 20 years ago. And when he left 20 years ago, God told him he would bless him and take care of him and protect him. That's what he always promises. And now God's telling him to go back. And God says the same thing. Go back to the land of your relatives. That's the land of Canaan. We call it Israel. And I will be with you. He's going to always be with him. There was the covenant promise that was given to him, which was the land, the seed, and the blessing. God says, I will provide and protect. God is always, and by the way, with us, it's the same thing. God never leaves us or forsakes us. What should we fear? The book of Hebrews says that. God is the God of all creation. He can handle any situation. So we can rest in the same way, knowing that. What did he tell? He said, I'll go on with you always to the end of the age. I'll never leave you or forsake you. Uh, he's always with us. Well, Jacob wants to leave. He wants to obey God. So what he's going to do, he's going to call his wives in, and let's talk about the situation. So what, what happens? So Jacob sent and called Rachel, this is verse 4, Rachel and Leah, to his flock in the field. He called and said, come in here. And he said to them, I see your father's attitude that it's not friendly toward me as formerly. But, contrast, but the God of my father has been with me. Now he calls his wife and says, his wives, and he says, well, I'm, I'm a little concerned. Things aren't the same. He, he's not the same toward me. Uh, now, he's, he's not the same, but God has always been for me. We don't have to worry about that. But God and my Father has been with me. You know that I have served your Father with all my strength. Now, one thing we have to admit about Jacob, that he, he has worked hard. He's done everything he's supposed to do for all these 20 years. He worked seven years for Rachel and then didn't get her. He got Leah, so he worked. He got Leah, he got uh, Rachel then and had to work seven more years to keep her. So after 14 years, he had the two wives. And now for the last six years, he's been doing all of this. And uh, notice what he says. I, I love verse 7 because he says, Your father has cheated me and changed my wages ten times. However, God did not allow him to hurt me. Sunday school, we've been doing a study on forgiveness. And sometimes we talk about how people do us wrong or hurt us. And we, we feel like maybe sometimes we feel like we want to get them back or that's not, they can't get away with this and all this. And the truth is that God's in control. And just right here it says, Your father has cheated me and changed my wages ten times. However, God did not allow him to hurt me. It doesn't matter what Laban did. If Laban said, okay, I'll pay you this, it ended up being good for Jacob. That's just the way it is. God is in control, and no matter the situation, God is working and providing and protecting. And that's, that's true for us not only in this life of Jacob, but it is true for us. When it says he changed my wages ten times, I don't think he means that I've been counting, and he changed it once, and then he changed it again, and he changed it again. It'd be like us saying, this has happened dozens, dozens of times. It's literally a way of saying in the Hebrew that this has happened over and over and over. So it's not exactly saying ten in the way that we would think of. He's done it ten times. That was the ninth time last week, and then this week it was the tenth. It's the idea that he's done it over and over and over. Now, God is in control. He did not, God did not allow him to hurt me. Watch, he goes on to explain what God has done. If he spoke thus, if Laban said, the speckled shall be your wages, then all the flock brought forth speckled. And if he said, the striped shall be your wages, then all the flock brought, brought forth the striped. That's the way it is. He said, if, 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 if you're supposed to have the speckled, you can have the speckled. And all of a sudden, everything's speckled. And Jacob's getting rich. Okay, you, you get the others. Well, then you get that. 
Thus God, now notice verse 9, and it's a strong statement. Here's his conclusion, and I think this is a key. I think it's a, God has done this. Thus God has taken away your father's livestock and given them to me. That is a really strong statement, but it's really true. Uh, Laban had been, uh, really Laban had been dishonest. He tricked him at the very beginning, gave him the wrong wife, made him work t- t- 14 years for two women, one that he didn't even want, then asked him to stay on and be, you know, get blessed, and then all of this has happened. So God has done all this. God has taken away what your father has, and he's given it to me. No matter how much deceit or trickery that's going on, and it's really from both sides. Now let me just say this to you, and we've talked about it. Jacob is no angel. See, because Jacob has been thinking that he would take those those plants and those trees and he would, you know, mark them up so they would look spotted. And then the animals that would mate in front of them, he believed that if they made it in front of all this, they would come out spotted, speckled, striped, and all that, which is what he wanted. Now, the truth is, putting marking some tree is not going to make an animal do that. But he'd actually thought that, but who's doing all this? God is. God's working it all. And he admits it here. Thus, God has taken away your father's livestock and given them to me. And then he goes on and he tells what, what has happened and, and the reason for the blessing and what he knows. He says, It came about at the time when the flocks were mating that I lifted up my eyes and behold in a dream, and I saw in a dream, and behold, the male goats were mating were striped, speckled, and mottled. Then the angel of God said to me in a dream, Jacob, and I said, Well, here I am. He said, Lift up your eyes and see that all the male goats which are mating are striped, speckled, and mottled, for I have seen all that Laban has been doing to you. He says, How I know this is from God is, is one time I had a dream, and I had a dream that the animals were mating, and I saw what was happening, and God said to me, Don't worry about it. I'm the one that's handling all this. I see what is happening, and I am the one. I've, I've seen what Laban's been doing to you. So he says, I know this is from God. And the truth is, it is from God. But look at verse 13, because I love this verse. I am the God of Bethel, where you anointed a pillar, where you made a vow to me. Now arise, leave this land, and return to the land of your birth. That's really a sort of a summary. If you remember, now let's think back for a second so you can put this together. When Jacob got ready to leave his home back with with Isaac and Rebekah, he was running for his life. And you remember that night he stopped. And he stopped at a place and he took a stone and he laid on the stone and he had the dream. And, and he saw heaven open up and like a stairway to heaven or slide really was what it was. He saw angels going up and down and he saw the Lord. And the Lord talked to him and told him he was going to protect him and take care of him and all of these things. And, and when he woke up, he said, this is, this is like the house of God. This is where God is. And so he named it Bethel, Bayat El. Bayat means house. El means God. So Bethel means the house of God. And so that's what he named it. And then, and that's and from that point on, and he made a vow to God. Then he said, you know, if you'll take care of me, I'll give you a tenth of everything. And then he left. God's always taking care of him. And now God's reminding him, I am the God of Bethel. I'm the God, the same God that you saw that night. Where you anointed a pillar, where you made a vow to me. Now I want you to rise, I want you to leave this land and return to the land of your birth. He now knows it's time to go back. Twenty years. And you remember poor old Rebecca and, and Isaac, they thought, especially Rebecca, she thought he'd be gone maybe a year, year and a, you know, because she knew it'd take a while to get there, stay there. She said, you will be gone for just a few days. She, she knew it couldn't be a few days because it'd take much longer than that to get there and to come back. But she thought he wouldn't be gone very long. It's been 20 years. She's never going to see him again, by the way. And so here's what's going to happen. So Rachel and Leah, what do they think about this? Because uh, he's saying, I'm fixing to go back. 
They've never been, lived there. They've always lived in Haran. He's basically saying it's time to go to back to the land. She's going to be saying, they're going to be saying to themselves, we're fixing to go, well, we never lived there. This is not our land. You're wanting to go back to your land. We've been living in our land. So what do they say? Rachel and Leah said to him, do we still have any portion or inheritance in our father's house? Are we not reckoned by him as foreigners, for he has sold us and has also entirely consumed our purchase price? Now, they make a strong statement. They say, do we have anything from Laban? Laban gave us nothing. We're his daughters. We should have, we should have something. We get nothing. It was clear that they were going to get nothing from Laban. In fact, they said, he treated us like foreigners. He sold us. He really did. He sold them. I mean, he made Jacob work seven years to get one he didn't even love. And she didn't love. I mean, she, she's out in the cold. She says, he didn't love me, and he's married to me. And then he worked seven more years for Rachel. And now he's running all this other stuff. And so they say, look, he's treated us like a foreigner. He's sold us. And everything that he's consumed, our purchase price, he's, he's got nothing left to give us as we leave. Nothing for us. Now watch the conclusion. Surely all the wealth which God has taken away from our father belongs to us and our children. Now then, do whatever God has said to you. Now you remember Jacob basically said that over this period of time, God has been taken away from Laban and giving to Jacob. They say, that's fine. That's our stuff anyway. We should have had it anyway. You do whatever you think God wants you to do. Wow. This is powerful. Do what God says. Well, that's a pretty good statement by them, isn't it? Do whatever God says for you to do. We don't have any portion with our father's house, so do that. So here's what Jacob decides to do. He's going to load up and they're going to leave. Notice this. It says, Jacob arose and put his children and his wives upon camels, and he drove away all his livestock and all his property which he had gathered, his acquired livestock which he had gathered in Padam Aram, to go to the land of Canaan to his father Isaac. He's going back home. Now, the word drove, I want you to know the word drove is urgency. They're in a hurry. He didn't just say, okay, we're heading out. He says, let's get out of here as fast as we can, get all our stuff on there and get out of here. We don't even want Laban to know we're leaving. Laban's out in the fields. He says, let's get stuff and let's get out of here. Now, let me tell you, do you think that's the right way to leave? I mean, let's think about it. Even if Jacob, let's say Laban is a real jerk, right? Is that the way to leave? To take his two daughters and his grandchildren and the stuff and just disappear so that when Laban comes in, he goes, what? where is everybody? They left. What do you mean they left? They left. They packed up everything. They left. My daughters? Where are my daughters? Where are my grandchildren? I don't care that much about Jacob, but I do care about my daughters and my grandchildren. So what Jacob is doing, he's doing right by going back to the land that, is fought, that, that God told him to go back to. He's doing wrong because he's doing it the wrong way. We can do a right thing, and we can do it a wrong way. Now, they're getting their property, they're getting their stuff, and they're getting out of here. Notice again in verse 17, Jacob arose and put his, wife, his children and his wives upon camels, and he drove away all his livestock and his property which he gathered, his acquired livestock which he had gathered in Padamaram, to go to the land of Canaan to his father Isaac. He's going back home. He's waited just for the right time. Laban is busy shearing his sheep. Now, watch the next verse. When Laban had gone to shear his flock, and that takes some time, by the way. You know, they've gone out, and so they're out there, and they stay out there. He thinks this is the perfect time to leave. He's out there taking care of the, the flock. We can just leave. When Laban had gone to shear his shock, a flock, then, La then Rachel stole the household idols that were her father's. Rachel did something wrong. 
she stole his household gods. Now, what in the world? The, the word gods there is a word teraphim. It, we're not exactly sure what they are. Most all of the studies tell us that, that, that they were little small things. They look like about the size of dolls. And what the best we can find is this. The next slide will tell us. They were false idols. They were gods. They were worshipped. And they kept for protection. In fact, some believe that th there were several things there. Uh, I think we've got two things. One, that they were idols that they, they believed that they, they worshipped them. They had power and protection. So here's Laban. That if you look at Laban, do you think Laban is believing maybe the same way that Jacob believes? Probably not. He's got these little gods. There's a second thing is that they were... Oh, go ahead and go back. I'm sorry. There's a second thing that, that they were a sign of authority in the household. The person who had these little gods in that place, we think, has an idea that they were the head of the household. That was their possessions. They're the main ones. So what she did is she snuck in and got her father's little gods, which were either his power, protection, his source of authority, uh, his head of the household. She took them. They were valuable to him. Listen, he's going to be really upset about this. In fact, that's the, the, the two things that he gripes about. You took my wife and you took my daughters and my grandchildren and you stole my gods. That's the things. I want you to see a contrast here. Uh, being Laban had gods where Jacob had the true God. Laban had idols for protection. Jacob had the true God for protection. All the way through this thing, it's always been the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. He's protected them all the way through. It's powerful. Now, let me ask you a couple of questions. This, why would Rachel want these teraphim? Why would she want these gods? Well, number one, I, number one maybe to get her father back because she says he mistreated me. Everything I was supposed to have, he took. So you know what I'm going to do? I'm taking his little gods. I'm taking his dolls. I'm taking his, his possessions. Second thing, it is something of value. As far as she was concerned, listen, he owed her stuff, so she's going to go take something of value from him. Now, that, he really wanted those. And the third thing is, it, maybe it had a part of claim to inheritance because if she had that, she'd say, no, wait a minute, I got this. This means I have something coming to me. We're not sure, but she took them. And, you know, I, we know she did wrong. That's You don't steal. No matter what it is, you don't steal. So she's done wrong. Jacob is done wrong because they're leaving without even telling him goodbye. They've been there 20 years. That is a long time. So look at verse 20, sort of a little summary. And Jacob deceived Laban the Aramean by not telling him he was fleeing. That's sort of a summary statement. Jacob's doing the right thing, but he's doing it in the wrong way. He's doing the right thing. That's to obey God in return. He's doing it in the wrong way because he leaves and he doesn't even tell Laban. He states here that he actually deceived Laban. He's tricking him again. And why didn't he tell him? You ever thought about it? Why wouldn't Jacob come, let Laban come in, go to him and say, listen, I've worked for you for 20 years, 14 for the wives, six years for all this stuff. I've decided it's time. God has told me to go back. I'm leaving. Why wouldn't he do that? Well, I'll tell you why. We're gonna, he's afraid. He's afraid that if he decided to go, that, J, that Laban would say, you can go. You can go all you want to. You can go by yourself. You're not taking my daughters. You're not taking my grandchildren. You're not taking my stuff. You're not taking my animals. You're not taking anything from me. I think Jacob is afraid that if he meets Laban face to face, Laban will take all his stuff away. So he says, best thing to do is get out of town. 
Look at verse 21. So he fled with all that he had, and he crossed. He arose and he crossed the Euphrates River, and he set his face toward the whole country of Gilead. So he's on the way back. He's left the northern part of what is Iran, Iraq, mostly uh, uh, Iraq this, t- today, and he's leaving and, and coming back, and he's going to make his way all the way back to what we'd call the land of Israel. Now, he's on the run. He can't move very fast. Why can't he move fast? Huh? He's got a lot... Good, got a lot of stuff. He's got a lot of animals. They can't move fast. But he's got his wife and his children. They can't move very fast. They, I mean, you're not like getting on a horse and riding off fast as you can go. They're camels and everybody's moving and they're trying to keep everything together. And he's got a lot of stuff. And, and he's rich. If you remember the end of verse uh, of chapter 30, it said, So the man became exceedingly prosperous and had large flocks and female and male servants and camels and donkeys. So he's a rich man, and he's having to travel slow. He's made it to Gilead. He's crossed the Tigris-Euphrates River, and he's gone. Now look what happens, verse 22. When it was told Laban on the third day that Jacob had fled. It took three days. They'd been gone three days before the word got back to him. Well, he's out there shearing the sheep. He took his kinsmen with him and pursued him a distance of seven days' journey, and he overtook him in the hill country of Gilead. It took him seven days to catch him. It was told him they left. You can almost see somebody coming up and saying, you know how to tell you this, but Jacob's gone. Your daughters are gone. Everybody's gone. All the property's gone. They've disappeared. They've left. And so he got some of his kinsmen, he got some of his men with him, and they took off, and they pursued him a distance of seven days' journey, and he overtook him in the hill country of Gilead. He finally caught him and then look at at uh, at this because he's very angry he's coming with vengeance he's coming he says you know if i catch up to jacob what do you think he'll do if he catches jacob what do you think he's going to do if he catches jacob what do you think i think he wants to kill him oh yeah because see if he kills jacob what what does he get everything he kills Jacob, he takes it back. He says, I'm killing this man because this man has stolen all my stuff and he's stolen my daughters and he's stolen my grandchildren and he's done all this and so he deserves to die. I think that's what J- that's what Laban is on, on to do. And let me tell you, I wouldn't put it past Laban one bit. I mean, we know what kind of man Laban is. We've seen him from the very beginning. We go back some chapters ago when we saw what he was doing. Now watch this because what is the promise that God said to Jacob? I will protect you. I will protect you. Look at the warning. God came to Laban, the Aramean, in a dream of the night and said to him, Be careful that you do not speak to Jacob either good or bad. Now, that's a sort of a Hebrew way of saying you just leave him alone. Don't bother him. Leave him alone. Don't try to stop him. Don't intervene. You leave him alone. Alone. It, it, the good or bad means leave him alone. Don't try to stop him. Don't intervene. Don't say anything. It's the idea of, look, you're not going to stop him. Because, see, God is the one that told him to go. So he's basically saying, you don't touch him. Now, uh, the warning is don't harm Jacob. You know, when you think about that, that we see a couple, a couple of things is don't get vengeance. Uh, Laban thinks he has the right to get vengeance. When somebody harms us or somebody does something to us, we've been talking about this in Sunday school when we talked about forgiveness. When somebody harms us, somebody does something to us, we, we really feel like in our minds that they can't get away with this and, and we, we need to get it because it's wrong. They did us wrong. We need to get it back for vengeance. But remember the, the passage is that vengeance belongs to the Lord and not to us. Leave it the vengeance to the Lord. But there's a second aspect there, and it, that is that God is our protector. God is not going to let anything happen to Jacob, even though Jacob's done wrong. 
God has made that promise. He is the protector. Let me tell you, he's our provider and protector. He'll never leave us or forsake us. What should we feel? He is our fear. He is our shield. He is our tower. Why do we fear? It, believers, what do we fear? People say we fear death. Well, if we die, we'll be with the Lord. We fear we don't have enough money. God will provide all our needs. We fear safety. He protects us. He'll never leave us. We fear the unknown. God is the one that works all things according to the counsel of his will. So God is in control. Now, Laban catches up with Jacob in the hill country, and he's going to make some accusations. He already knows that he can't do anything to Jacob because God won't let him. But he's going to make several accusations. Look at verse 25. It says, Laban caught up with Jacob. Now, Jacob had pitched his tent in the hill country, and Laban with his countrymen camped in the hill country of Gilead. Then Laban said to Jacob, what have you done by deceiving me and carrying away my daughters like captives of the sword? You know what he actually says? He says, you took my, my children as if they were slaves, as if you had captured them, as if you were a warrior and you came in and you just took them off. You can't do that. He's going to make two accusations, and they are, you took my children and you took my gods. Look what he says in verse 27. Why did you flee secretly and deceive me and did not tell me so that I would have sent you away with joy and with songs and with timbrel and lyre and, and you did not allow me to kiss my sons and my daughters? How you have done foolishly. Wow. You carried away my, my family. The word carried away is a word used of an enemy. You know, you took my children. It means to, to take away, to capture, to pull away. He's making Jacob look like an enemy. He's making Jacob look like a bad man instead of a son-in-law. Why didn't you tell me I would have had a party for you? Let me ask you something. Do you think he had had a party? I don't think so. But he says, I would have had a big party for you. And he says, and you did not allow me to kiss my sons and my daughters. Now you have done foolishly. And the truth is this. After 20 years, he shouldn't have left without telling him. Now, he was afraid. We know that. Notice what Laban says in verse 29. It is in my power to do you harm. But the God of your father. Now, notice how he says that. He didn't say my God. He says the God of your father. Because see, what kind of God does he have? He's got these little things. They're not very big, by the way. Huh? Do what? Somebody say it. He's got these idols. Yeah, he's got them. And he says, but the God of your father spoke to me last night saying, be careful not to speak either good or bad to Jacob. Oh, wow. I have the power to harm you, but God said no. Now, watch what he says. His first accusation is you took my children. Verse 30. Now you've indeed gone away because you longed greatly for your father's house. Why did you steal my gods? That's the second accusation. Why did you steal my gods? So the two accusations are you took my children and my grandchildren, really, and you took my gods. Why did you do that? Now, let me, let me, let's talk for a minute about gods, okay? <laughs> you, we know that there's only one God, that there's no other such thing as any other God. There's only one God. Now, there are things that people call gods, and there are demonic things that people worship, and then there are, there are trees and statues and the sun and the moon and everything people worship. But, you know, you ever thought about a god? How, how good is a god if a woman can steal it and put it in her purse, Right? Because that's where it is. We're going to find that she hides it in her saddlebag. She hides it in her little saddle that she's sitting on. She's going to, he's going to come in the tent to find it, and she's pretty smart. She puts it up under the saddle and sits down on it. And he comes in, and he looks everywhere, but he doesn't look under there. And she says she can't get up, and we'll talk about that next time. But how, how good are those gods if somebody can take them? You remember when earlier in, in the life of uh, 
doing that earlier, but when you see the life of David and they're fighting the Philistines and, and they have a God called Dagon and he's half fish and half man and, and he keeps falling over and they have to keep setting him back up and then one time he falls over and his head breaks off and is, you know, and you say, that's a great God. You, maybe you need to anchor him down or something, you know, cause he keeps falling over. And so he says, why did you get my God's army glad that our God is a real God? He's the only God. I've told you all this story before, but it, but it's true. It's, it's been a long time ago, probably maybe 20, maybe 18 years ago. Gina and I, we were living on the other side of town, and we were thinking about a different house. You know, we just thought about it. And so we were looking in the paper, and this people were – were uh, wanted to sell their house, and so we drove over. And it was on this side of town, and we drove up to the house, and it was uh, a couple that were internationals. And we knocked on the door, and they opened the door, and and we were looking through the house, and there was a little boy. Their little boy is about this big, and I'm standing there talking to the man, and I feel this, and he's pulling on my pants, this little boy. And I went, "Hey!" And he went, and he looked right at me, and he said, "Do you want to see my God?" And I. I thought I misunderstood what he said. And I went, what did you say? He said, you want to see my God? You want to see my God? And I said, sure. So he took me into his bed. And their parents followed. He took me in the bedroom. And there was like a, it almost looked like a dollhouse. It was a little house. It had a roof that came like this. And then down and had doors right here. And he opened the doors. And there was a little statue in there. And he said, there is my God. And I went, well, okay. You know, I didn't know really what to say. I didn't want to offend him. And all I started to say, well, don't break him. You know, but anyway, you know. Sometimes that's people. The, the Old Testament, there's a, one of the Psalms says that the foolish man takes a piece of wood and chops it in two. And one half he makes a fire and warms himself. And the other half he fashions it into an idol and bows down before it. And he says, what a foolish man that is. And he says they have eyes but they can't. These, these idols, they have eyes but they can't see. And they have ears but they can't hear. And they mouths and they can't speak. And he says whoever trusts in them is like them. Stupid. That's really the bottom line. So he says, why did you get, why did you steal my gods? And so Jacob is going to answer. Look at verse 31. Jacob replied to Laban, because I was afraid, for I thought you would take your daughters from me by force. So the first thing, I was afraid. I was afraid that you're going to have a party. I don't think you're going to have a party. I think if I told you I was leaving, you'd say to me, you can leave. They're not leaving. I, th- I thought you'd take my, my wives and your daughters by force. You might say, they're really yours, and they're not. And then the second thing that he says, notice, I didn't get your gods. Look at verse 32. This is where we're stopping. He said, the one with whom you find your gods shall not live. He's so confident that they didn't, nobody got the gods. He said, look, you find the gods among some of our people, and they'll die. In the presence of our kinsmen, point out what is yours among my belongings, and take it for yourself. But Jacob did not know that Rachel had stolen them. He basically said this. Listen, we didn't get your gods. Whoever, If you find your gods around here, whoever has your gods, they can die. And if you look around and you think anything here belongs to you, you pick it up and you get it and you take it with you when you leave. You think this is a friendly uh, meeting? This is not friendly at all. In fact, when we get to next time, it won't be next week, but next time... You can almost hear them shouting at each other. When you read it, go ahead and read the rest of the passage, and you watch what Laban says. He says, these are my children. These are my daughters. These are my grandchildren. These are my flocks. You can almost see him pointing and shouting at Jacob. This is my stuff. He thinks it is his stuff. It's not. God bless Jacob.
So we'll see it as we go through. There's there's some powerful things. I, he did not know that, you know, you can almost see Rachel going, oh, no, don't say that. Don't, don't say that. Don't say die. Don't say kill. Don't say that. You know, powerful stuff. The accusations in Jacob's reply, you left. He said, you left. No goodbye, he says, I was afraid. You stole my gods, he said. I didn't steal your gods. Look around and see. Next time, we're going to see the search. It's kind of scary. The whole thing's scary. Especially if you're Rachel. <laughs> it's real scary. You know, it reminds me uh, of, and we'll see it later on, uh, when you see the nation of, uh, the, the, you know, Jake, Joseph is in Egypt, and, and uh, he tells them as the brothers are getting ready to leave, and he tells them to put that money stuff and put that little thing back in their sack so they'll find it. And when he catches up to him and said, y'all stole some of the favorite from it, you know, some of the stuff. And they go, no, we didn't. Check every sack. And they check every sack. And then there it is. And when they open it up, they go, oh, my gracious, what are we going to do? Who put this in here? You know, same thing here. It's very powerful. What have we seen? God appears telling Jacob to leave. He realizes all the blessings from God. And his wives agree and it's time to leave. Jacob leaves and Laban pursues. But he leaves by not even telling him goodbye. When Jacob gets there, he accuses him of saying, you didn't say goodbye. You stole my gods. Jacob says, I didn't steal your gods. And I was afraid. That's why I left. Let me give you some applications. Number one, remember God is our provision and protection. He is. He's the one that gives us everything. He is our grace and mercy. We have to acknowledge that everything we have comes from God. We live in this fallen world. He is our protector. He'll never leave us. As Matthew 28 says, he'll be with us always. How do you and I face the world? It's, I mean, it's a terrible thing. There are always things that are unknown and fears, but we have to rest in his power and protection. We just have to trust him. He is a great God. He works all things according to the counsel of his world. He works all things together for good. God keeps his promises. He told Jacob, I will provide and protect you. I will never leave you. He has the same promises for us that he'll provide every need that we have. He'll protect us. He'll never leave us or forsake us. May we trust in him. Remember his provision and protection. Second, we want to be men and women of trustworthy character. Because when we look at this passage, we don't see men and women of trustworthy character. We see Jacob and Laban who have deceived and deceived and deceived. And we see Rachel who goes and steals. And you know, sometimes when we think about the people in the Bible, we say, how great they are. Aren't they great? Wasn't Abraham the greatest man of all? He lied a bunch of times. Wasn't Abraham Isaac great? Wasn't Jacob great? Wasn't Rachel great? Well, no, they're just like us. They're just like us. Chuck Colson in his book Against the Night says, hey, we have a crisis in character in America. The values that restrain the inner vices and developed inner virtue are eroding. We are destroying our civilization by weakening the pillars upon which it rests. Are we men and, women of, men and women of principles and values? Do we live our lives based on the values of the word of God? George Mueller said this. He said, we must keep our word even in the ordinary affairs of life if we say it, do it. It is so easy for people to say, I'll be there. Don't worry. I'll be there. I promise you. I'll be there. I'll be there at 8 o'clock. And then you never show up. And if you see them later, you say, ah, something came up. Be men and women of trustworthy character. The last thing, keep, keep the lines of communication open. Jacob and Laban didn't do that. The problem, Jacob left without even telling. He never told Laban anything. He just left. We must communicate with each other. Think of some areas like marriage. Really, communication is key in marriage. In fact, the bottom line, communication is the key in everything, but in our marriages and our families. And the third thing is in church. In church, think about church. Talk to each other. Let each other know what's going on. Tell, tell each other what's happening. And, then, and just in all relationships, communication is the key. Be open and love one another. That is the key. May we be people of character as we live lives knowing 
that our God is in control and he's our protection. So many great things. Let's pray it. If you have questions or comments, we'll do it. Heavenly Father, what a great night. Thank you for the passage. Lord, we realize that uh, you are in control, that you're the God who is our provision, our protection. May we rest in you no matter what the situations of life are, that we just trust you, knowing that you work in all things according to the counsel of your will. May we rest in you and trust you. Lord, we want to be men and women of character trustworthy character as we see Jacob and Laban and Rachel and all the things here we realize that they uh, they didn't do right Lord we want to be men and women who live righteously and godly in a fallen world we want to be lights in the midst of a crooked and perverse generation we want to shine as lights in the world we want to walk worthy of the call in which we've been called we want to conduct ourselves in a manner worthy of the gospel of Christ we want to live in such a way that you say well done good and faithful servants. So Lord, we just ask you that we would do that. And Lord, finally, may we keep our lines of communication open, whether it's our marriage, our family, our church, our relationships, or everything. We want to do that. Thank you, Lord, for your word and how powerful it is. Lord, we look forward to seeing what happens when the the dialogue goes after they uh, uh, start talking through these things. Thank you, Lord, for this. We ask this in Jesus' name. Amen.